for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Good morning, everyone. I think we've discovered wherever my skills lie, it's not in the technical area. (laughs) Nathan gave me the time mic, reasonably assuming that because I've spoken at the front before, I might know how to use it. And it's when I opened the thing and the battery fell out, I realised that (laughs) it's not my skill. But uh, just thank you so much to the worship team for that time of worship this morning that was focusing on Jesus. And thank you for the notices that gave me a chance to compose myself. (laughs) Because, you know, I'm... I've tried to be faithful to the brief I've been given, which is speaking on 1 John chapter 5, so it's finishing our our series on 1 John. Um, But, you know, during it, the Lord's blessed me and spoken to me so much about the Lord Jesus and just said to me, make much of Jesus. And that's what we've been doing already this morning. So I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with what the Lord's put on my heart. And um, I have done about 1 John chapter 5 as well, so... um, if, if, all, if all fails, I shall finish it, um, you know, 20 past or whatever, and um, it will all be on the notes and it can go on, on the website for discussion at small groups. So, um, yeah, so we just... What I wanted to do, if we could have the first slide, really, is it should be a long jump because I feel that this is the final chapter, but you can't really start at chapter five from a standstill you've got to do a running jump through the other chapters so I'm going to start with just a kind of a recap a summing up really of 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 John one John and so just the background just to remind those of you who perhaps um, have heard it before those who were here this morning for the first time and haven't heard it about the background that the this letter was written by John one of the followers of Jesus and it's thought that John met Jesus when he was a very young man He's probably about 19 or 20. I don't know whether we've got any 19 or 20-year-olds here this morning. Um, And then he wrote this letter when he was an old man. And he was looking back on his experience of Jesus. And he was talking, writing this letter to people for whom Jesus was already a story, not somebody personally known. And the church had formed... And already wrong teaching was coming into the church. And so John was writing to address that, to correct that. John was saying it's really important that we know about Jesus, the truth about him, and know him personally. And that's what this letter is about. So what was the wrong teaching that was creeping in about Jesus? The wrong teaching was that Jesus wasn't fully God and fully man. That was what the wrong teaching was that was coming in, that he wasn't fully God and fully man. And what John was saying was acknowledging that Jesus is both God and man is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. So there was this thing called Gnosticism, um, which had come into the church, and John was challenging it in writing his letter. And it it was a Greek way of thinking, and it was saying that everything good was in the spiritual realm, and um, that anything to do with the body or material things was bad, and that you sort of needed to escape from the body and live in a spiritual realm. And John was saying, no, you know, that this world was created by God, this world is good, it's been ruined by sin, but that God hasn't abandoned it, he's come to redeem it, and that Jesus himself is God come to live in the neighbourhood. He's come to live amongst us. He became flesh and lived amongst us. 
So the first point, if we can go and try next slide, he, he's writing to make two points clear, really. So if we look at this slide, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. These are amazing words. These are amazing words. And what John is saying, he's saying two things. First of all, he's saying Jesus existed before time as God and creator of the world. And the Greeks in those days were very much like we are today. They were very interested in the pattern, the organization of the world. How was the world made? How does it function? How does it work? The pattern, the organization. And John is saying, this is who I met when I met Jesus. I met the author, the the, the creator of this world. But then it's also saying that Jesus was truly man, that he came and lived amongst us, that he was and is God's rescue plan for us. The word became flesh. And, you know, I just felt the Lord really reminding me of the importance of this. And we're coming up to the Christmas period where we're thinking about this, that it's really important that we understand that Jesus came and lived amongst us, that God became flesh. And I was just reading through a few verses of Scripture, and and, um, we're reminded that Jesus was born through the divine intervention of the Holy Spirit upon Mary. It says, it says in the Gospels, we'll probably read it next week, or the week after, the Holy, this is what the angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So Jesus' birth was miraculous. This is what we believe as Christians. Jesus had a unique relationship with his father. When he was baptized, a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Jesus did amazing miracles. When you look at the life of Jesus, he forgave people's sins. Not sins against him, but sins against other people. And um, there's the story of the paralyzed man that was lowered through the roof. And Jesus looked at him and said, son, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leader said, who can forgive sins but God alone? That's blasphemy, they said. That's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins except God alone? And it's true, but he was God. And he was able to forgive sins. He accepted worship from people. People worshipped Jesus and he accepted it. And then the thing that I've just been really blessed as I've thought about while I've been preparing this message is about the transfiguration. You know, there came that point, and John remembers it, and he talks about it. You know, he's looking back as an old man, looking back on this experience he had. It says that Jesus led them up a mountain and began to pray. And while he was praying, his appearance changed. It says his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. God said, this is my son whom I love, and with him I'm well pleased. Hear him. You know, it's like Jesus walked amongst people and he was veiled. His glory was veiled by flesh. But for one moment, it was like that glory that was always there that he'd had with the Father before the beginning. It shone through his flesh and they saw it. And John can remember it forever. It was something he'd never forget. And he talked about, he said, we saw him. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then it goes back. He goes back to normal. He becomes again the Jesus that children could sit on his knee or a woman could wash his feet and wipe them with her tears. 
But, you know, just think how amazing that is. And there's a quote by G. Campbell Morgan. Um, He says, Here upon the mount there flamed forth a magnificence. Well, and the majesty of him who, in order that the weakest and most trembling might hold intercourse with him, had failed these splendors behind the hump. I just think that's amazing. And then there was his confession before the high priest. Jesus was standing on trial for his life, and he directly acknowledges himself to be the Son of God. The high priest says to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And, and in answering, Jesus seals his death warrant. He says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest said, you have heard the blasphemy. But it wasn't blasphemy, it was the truth. Jesus knew himself to be truly God and truly man. His taking on humanity didn't change his deity, he was still God. You can't separate those two natures. You can't say that at one point in his ministry, Jesus was acting as God, and at another time, he was acting as man. At all times, he acted as both God and man. And because he was God, this is why it's important, he was reconciling us. He was God, reconciling us to God. You know, at the beginning of creation, Adam grasped at equality with God. He wanted to be equal. The Satan said to him, you can be equal with God. But Jesus, who was equal with God, didn't grasp at equality, but humbled himself and divested himself of all his privileges of deity. And um, it's just so touched me. You know, we're coming up to Christmas when we're going to be thinking about this. And I've just asked Debbie if she'd come and sing a song that's been... It's an old song. You can always rely on me to come up with an old song that sums this up. It's called Meekness and Majesty. And um, dear old Debbie sort of delved into the mists of time to find this song. <laughs> Graham Kendrick. <laughs> so she's just going to do I just want you to close your eyes and just worship as she's... Worship the Lord Jesus.
Yeah, it's just, um, you know, just think of those amazing Christmas songs we sing. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man, with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Yeah. Right, just going to try and... <laughs> if we move on to the next um, PowerPoint. So, really, once, God, once John has talked about God's love for us, then he talks about the connection between God's love for us and our love for one another. And he says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. And I listened to a message about this once by somebody called Gerard Kelly that really blessed me. He was talking about the connection between God loving us and then us loving one another. And he said this, if you look at the next slide, we learn to love others not by trying harder, but by encountering God's love in our own lives. We love him because he first loved us, and then we live, love others because we've received God's love in our own life. And when God's light comes into your life, it brings love with it. The measure of the light of God in you is your capacity to love others. So if there's a place in your life where you're struggling to love, then ask God to bring his light into that area. And then the next slide, um, 1 John 2, 12. I write to you, dear children. I write to you, fathers. I write to you, young men. Um, I just felt, you know, God writes to all of us as children. And we're all part of God's family here this morning if we put our trust in Jesus. And everyone's included. And some of us have perhaps known the Lord for 60 days and some for 60 years. But we're all part of the same family. And the Gnostics talked about different levels of knowledge and spiritual ascent um, and about secret knowledge. And you might think, well, that was then, that's not now. But actually, I was talking to a dear friend recently from another church, and she said she was part of this group where the leader was saying... um, that, that, that God had favourites and that he gave special knowledge to some that he withheld from others. And John is saying, rubbish. Yeah. You know, we all have the Holy Spirit within us. We can all be led into truth by the Holy Spirit. The next one says, um, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You know, when did God start loving you? Was it when you turned and repented of your sin and turned back to him? No, it was a unilateral decision made before the foundation of the world that God would love you. And like the prodigal son story, you know, the father didn't just love the son when he came back. When the son returned, he returned to the arms of a father who'd never stopped loving him. It's a decision God has made, not triggered by anything you've done, to love you. Our next slide. There. It says, we got to 1 John 5, yay! <laughs> Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Um, again, two key things here are important. One, what you believe about Jesus, that he's God, come in the flesh. And two, that if you love God, that means loving his children. 
Everyone who loves the father loves his child. I've seen that so often here at Gateway. You know, there's lots of children here, and they're loved by everyone because they're children of people in this church. And I experienced that myself. I grew up in a church in Maidstone. My mum and dad were part of that church. And um, I grew up being loved by lots of people who were friends of my mum and dad. It was great at Christmas time and Easter, you know, the endless supply of Christmas presents and Easter eggs and people showing an interest in me because I was Martin and Sheila's daughter. And um, I grew up with these, this endless array of aunts and uncles. I don't know whether you... Whether, I don't think children do that now, but there was, you know, Uncle Ted and Auntie Rose and Uncle Malcolm and Auntie Margaret and Uncle Alf and Auntie Joan, you know. And it was funny because I went to a... Uh, a sort of celebratory service a while ago and I met one of these people I haven't met him for years and I gave him a hug and um, he was laughing his name was Ted and he was laughing He said because he brought his nephew with him and his nephew who wasn't a Christian or part of the church background said to him what is it about all these women of a certain age who keep coming up and hugging you and calling you Uncle Ted <laughs> so, so yeah that's, I'm used to that idea and um, you can really see it in scripture as well because when Peter, when John, when Jesus spoke to Peter after, after his resurrection, he said, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Do you, do you really love me? And Peter said, yes. And Jesus said to him, then feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. And, you know, I just believe that's what the Lord says to us this morning. You know, sometimes there are people in the church family that you perhaps don't get on with, or they annoy you, let's be honest, or they irritate you, or they don't see it like you see it, and we can get annoyed. But God says, I want you to love them. I want you to be kind. I want you to be patient with them. I want you to forgive. I want you to, to just love them, because I love them, and they're, they're high on my list. They're, they're priorities for me. I gave my life for them, and I just want you to... Feel about them the way I do. So that's really what that bit's saying. And then the next next one. This is love for God, it says in 1 1 John 5, verse 3. This is love for God to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. And that made me think about that bit in the message where it says, come unto me, all you who labour and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And um, my, my take my yoke, it's easy, my burden is light. And I'm just going to read it to you from the message. And because most of us know that verse I've just quoted, but a lot of us don't know the bit before it. But I'm just going to read that bit as well. This is Jesus speaking from Matthew 11:27. He says, the Father has given me all these things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation coming out of father and son intimacy. No one knows the father the way the son does, says Jesus, but I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. See, my burdens, my commands aren't burdensome. That's what he's saying. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus wants us to keep company with him and learn how to live freely and lightly, and to live out of the life he's placed within us. 
Because of his perfect love, it takes away our fear. We no longer need to prove things to him. We don't need to perform or convince him of things. But we're living out of the life he's placed in us. And then verse 4 to 5 says, Everyone, it's the next one, everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it who overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It just keeps coming around full circle again. And, you know, I think what that's saying is don't allow your identity to be shaped by what the world says about you, but allow your identity to be shaped by what God says to you. So what would the world say to you, maybe? It might be saying, put your comfort first before other people. Money and possessions are important. Achieving, being independent... Um, I've, just, I've just written down some quotes I've seen recently in, in, in establishments that I've visited. Live every day like it's your last. Um, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. <laughs> um, go for it now. The future is promised to no one. You know, and that just creates that fear of missing out um, and a fast-paced anxiety way of living. But what does Jesus say? He says, come to me. Come to me if you're weary and worn out and burnt out and anxious, and I'll give you rest. I'll show you how to live. So you get to decide which way you want to go. Do you want to go the world's way or God's way? I'd suggest God's way is better. Okay, it's just a thought. And then finally, okay. Who can win in this world? And hold their head together. The one who believes that Jesus has come in the flesh. That he's both God and man. You know, it's really important that we believe that. Because Jesus' death only works if we believe that he is God and man. As man, he represents us. But as God, his death is capable of putting right all that's gone wrong in our lives and healing us. If you don't believe that he's God and man, then his death has no relevance. It stops being useful. But if you will believe that Jesus came and that he died to save you, then you become a winner. And John says you will, be, you will win in this battle because Jesus is in you, the battle of life because of Jesus. It's not that we're believing in Gateway or, amazing as they are, in Graham and Richard. Our belief, our faith, our trust is in Jesus. Okay. I'm just going to go to our last slide now because I think I've said quite a lot, really. I could say more, but I think there's quite a lot there to go away with. So if we just go to our last slide. Yeah. It says, Dear children, keep yourself from idols. That's the last verse, 1 John 5, 21. But I think, you know, in the New Living Translation, it puts it a different way, which I think is easier. It says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. You know. It says, get everything out of your heart that might take the place of Jesus in your life. Because he has come. We're back where we started. He has come. God in the flesh. God and man. The word made flesh. And he has loved you with an everlasting love. And he has given everything for you. And he wants you to take on his life and to live out of his life. Not out of the brokenness, but out of his life in you. And so make other things less important. Maybe having the perfect home, the perfect car, the perfect job, whatever it is that fills your mind. Make that a little bit less important so that he 
might have first place in your life. Why would you settle for less? That's what this verse is saying. Why would you settle for fear and condemnation and darkness when you can have light and life and love? Okay. <laughs> Amen. Lovely. Yeah, thank you, Catherine.